you are probably cut off from the world at large. You might be cut off from many of the resources that you would use to address this problem, like the internet. $7.99 per hour for, for Boing Boing? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's Boingo. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I don't know why that dumb name is so much worse than its actual dumb name. Live for the Mundangerous Cloud Cover in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 252 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about taking flight and adventuring aboard airships and airplanes. But first, the party buys passage in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, Spike Spiegel hides his true feelings in the Character Creation Forge. Hey, it's Mike Shea of Sly Flourish and author of The Lazy Dungeon Master and Sly Flourish's Fantastic Locations. My show, The DM's Deep Dive on the Don't Split the Podcast Network, features a one-on-one discussion with guests like Sean Merwin, Enrique Bertrand, Teo Sabadia, and more. Once a month, we dive deep into a single D&D topic and answer your burning DM questions. Watch us live on Twitch, on YouTube, or on our podcast on the Don't Split the Podcast Network. Let's dive deep. So if you have been following our adventures in Castle Amber, a 5e rewrite of the first edition classic adventure module for D&D, you can see the finale tomorrow night on the God's Fall Twitch channel as we finally wrap up uh, our wacky hijinks and hopefully survive, although who knows. And you can also catch up on the past episodes on the God's Fall uh, podcast feed because all of our prior episodes are available there in podcast form. Yeah, even if you haven't been watching any of them. Now is a good time. Start with the finale, and then work your way back. Uh, That's what I usually do. Yeah, it's like watching Memento. Also, it's nice to be on a stream show that actually converts its content to podcast, huh? Huh, yeah. I I hadn't known what that was like, but, you know, it's it's pretty (laughs) enjoyable. It's also nice to be on a stream show that has... uh, Really great special effects. <laughs> I wouldn't know what that was like either. Now it's starting to feel personal, Ishan. <laughs> Just because you were in charge of the special effects of that stream that we did doesn't mean that I'm specifically talking about you, Shane. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm talking about Rudy Basso. I'll have you know, I get a lot of questions about how I did the map special effect, okay? It's, it's true, and and I like that your answer is uh, Photoshop layers. Photoshop, and I Googled it. That's That's how we do everything actually that's how i wrote this entire episode i googled it that's literally how we learned to edit (laughs) (laughs) you can also check out my new podcast with sally tamarkin from uh from stream of blades and also from uh castle amber Uh, we talk about video games it's called co-op mood and it is available now on itunes and spotify and google play and all the normal places if you could leave us a five-star review that would be awesome because we're you know a brand new show so any support that we can get um but yeah you can check that out there might be an audio clip at the end of this episode uh from it if you're interested in, in hearing a little preview um, but that is uh, brand new and came out on Tuesday. So it is two days old. Yeah, get in on the ground floor of this new podcast because that is how investing works, I believe. Yep, that's how that's how listening works. That's right. <laughs> get in get in on the ground floor of this new show called Kings. <laughs> Hear me out. It's a biblical adapt or it's an adaptation of the biblical story of King David. Except set in a post-apocalyptic modern world. 
Oh, wait, no, it's David and Goliath. No, that is King David, right? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 it's great. Anyway, it's going to get canceled after seven episodes, so uh, check it out on NBC. King David set in a post-apocalyptic world is just literally the the present. It's our current timeline. (laughs) (laughs) A bad man who happens to be in charge, who runs his country into the ground. Get emotionally invested in the story. NBC will cut it out from under you. That's how it works. All right, Ishan, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? The Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in central Karnath, in the insular city of Vedakir, the party is chasing a killer. So after having saved Sergeant Bach from mysterious mercenaries, the party rests at House Davis. But in the middle of the night, Decimus disappears. In the morning, though, a servant informs the party that Inspector Sigor is at the door, and he has yet another coffin for them. Uh, did Decimus disappear at the point where Decimus's player went off to military training? That's exactly what happened. Okay, all right, good. <laughs> at good, least good. I knew this was this was happening, and Cam was like, I'll probably be back in six months, and I was like, all right, we're going to work that in, no problem, don't worry about it. <laughs> so this time, uh, Inspector Sigur is here with a coffin that contains the body of Decimus, drained of blood, otherwise unharmed, uh, just like Ephraim's corpse was. And uh, also notable, it has not begun to decay. Right, and neither has Ephraim's, which has been several days at this point. Uh, Previously, the uh, unwitting priest of uh, the Sovereign Host had said that it seemed like it had already been preserved ahead of time, although he wasn't really sure how, and neither was the party. So, huh, interesting. Sigor also asks them if they know anything of a plague outbreak that occurred in the southern district of the city previously. Several dozen people died last night of the same virulent hemorrhagic fever that affected the warehouse district, which he had also asked them about previously. And of course, ground zero for this plague is the alley where Lucky was nearly killed, which we of course do not uh, reveal (laughs) to Inspector Secor. Oh no, not at all. (laughs) He pinpoints it on a map. You're like, oh, that's a place that we have no knowledge of. That's a strange and random alley on the south side of the city. Why do you ask? Looks like any other alley not, or, or intersection. I have no idea. Is that an alley? Whatever. <laughs> so Sigor also tells them that he's heard rumors of a small outbreak of the same plague inside the Jurassico Enclave, but he doesn't really have a way to corroborate that. But hey, point of information, I suppose. The party, again, like the previous time, claims no knowledge, though of course... To themselves, they see the pattern of disease that seems to be following them wherever they go. So we ignore Ephraim's map and the location that was marked on it for now, and instead decide that our next stop should be Korth, the capital of Karnath, and the closest city with a House Orion enclave, in order to deliver Ephraim's body to his family and try to dig up more information about why he fought for Ondare in the war in direct violation of Galifarian law. But first, in order to get there, the party needs to scrounge up some cash, because the 500-mile trip to Korth via the lightning rail costs 105 gold pieces each, and Bach has no money. This was the saddest session of our entire <laughs> campaign, because we also got nickel and dimed for the cargo costs of shipping the coffin for 150 gold. So we're looking at, like, trying to put up you know 700 gold across seven characters and we're like i'm broke i'm broke i'm a druid i'm broke yeah i mean this is like our party in a nutshell right which is 
uh, hey, it costs this much money. No, I will never pay that much money. Well, you have a lot of items that you could sell or, you know, there are odd jobs that you could do or you could probably figure out some other way to magically do this. No, I will definitely not pay all of this money. I will find another way to do it. Because, you know, you talk about trying to shrink the coffin or maybe just sneaking aboard. I mean, you're a druid and can turn into like a bird, right? I think that's what I literally did. <laughs> <laughs> right, so you didn't have to pay, right? Yeah. But eventually... They just decide that they're just going to pay for the shipping costs of the coffin, and then they'll just ride steerage, basically in the back. Uh, it's, it's just bench seating. Um, there's, there's no food service. It's uh, 17 hours, though, so the party will not be able to sleep restfully, so they know they will arrive tired. You're like, fine, a level of exhaustion in exchange for 105 gold? Done. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, as a druid, I rode on top of the car in animal shape uh, or in wild shape and then rested the whole way <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah rather than sell one of the protective charms that lauren davis has given us uh we each pitch in 46 gold pieces to pay for the cargo fee and uh, cheap tickets for everybody and end up leaving decimus's body in the care of lauren davis who promises it will be given a place of honor strange cackle strange cackle wow this little girl is weird yeah i love that like, uh, you guys knew that the amulets allow her to spy on you, but they also give plus one to AC and saving throws. So you're like, no, we're definitely keeping these. <laughs> Absolutely not selling one. Nope. So when the party arrives at the lightning rail station, the Orion ticket seller weighs the coffin with a tensor's floating disc and then scribes their tickets. But then he gives them an overly familiar smile before telling them that he really enjoyed their time together and he hopes to see them soon. Pretty quickly, they realize that it's Lauren Davis speaking through him like a puppet. And she assures them that she's pretty sure they'll run into each other again at some point. And just after we've paid him, the ticket seller returns to his senses and his duties with no apparent knowledge of what just occurred. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we are talking about airships and hey you know we uh are super into eberron so obviously we'll be talking about eberron airships but this episode is not just about those things it's about any pilotable airborne craft so sure eberron elemental airships how ruined sky ships from the forgotten realms but also like modern like b2 bombers uh world war one sop with camels luxury zeppelins if you want to play a rocketeer game anything i <laughs> yeah i like how you loop B2 bombers in here, like, and not like, you know, the Avengers floating magical. Oh, a, a, a helicarrier? Airship base. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, yeah, the B2 bomber, that's what's closest to an airship in the world of flying, like, bullshit aircraft. I mean, helicarrier is more like a floating city, right? How pilotable is it? Uh, from what I've seen, they rise up out of the water and then they crash. <laughs> Yeah, they, they seem to get uh, dunked on pretty hard by villains. That's most of their function. All right, so the thing about airships is like they're not a typical vehicle. Uh, they present dangerous challenges and so many storytelling opportunities that you're not going to get from something like a car or you know land vehicles or trains or even something like spaceships. So first of all, talk about the lore. Uh, where do airships fit into your game and your setting? In Eberron, they've only been around for like 10 years, so they're mainly used as luxury travel for the wealthy or chartered flights for specific purposes. But even something like modern commercial air travel, you know, which most people sort of find dull, 
uh, is a great setting for an RPG session, right? Everyone has these common touch points. Everyone kind of knows the things that have gone wrong. Like, who doesn't want to play like an Air Force One session? That sounds awesome. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like an airplane session is what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's certainly what it'll devolve into, right? <laughs> so think about in, in your setting, and not just your setting, like in your particular game, how rare is air travel? How new is it? How expensive is it? That's going to tell you the kinds of people that you're going to find on uh, these planes and, you know, how difficult it's going to be for your party to get on a plane. How easy is it? Like, do you just hop on one? You know, you walk into an airport, buy a ticket and you're you're all set? Or is this a situation where you kind of need to, like, own your own or or lease it somehow? Yeah, there might also be considerations like the, the just hop on a plane thing is is more or less true today for like commercial air travel right but like was more so true in the 90s where you barely had to show id to get on a plane right like you could walk up to the counter and buy a ticket at the plane um you know so like those kind of considerations can make a difference too of like how much information are you giving up to get on the plane yeah, I think actually in a game, it's probably a lot more fun, especially if you have like an adventuring party. If it's more like uh, late 50s, early 60s, where, you know, you show up with your steamer trunk and like nobody cares about false ID uh, because, you know, you're getting on this uh, this airplane that holds like, you know, 10 people, maybe. Yeah. And then all the flights take like 10 minutes and they just like you just draw dots on the map until you get to like Marrakesh or whatever. And you're done. You just follow yeah. the red dot. Episode exactly. over. Yep. <laughs> on to the character creation for it <laughs> speaking of the time period think about how reliable the transportation is like is it very possible that you're going to break down does it depend on where you're going or the route that you're taking and how safe is it uh do you have an expectation that you're going to survive this and of course a lot of that depends on like is this you know just uh, tourist travel uh is your party just trying to get from one day to one destination to another or is this a sortie and you're flying it into combat during a war yeah also think about timing right how um how reliable is it to get you there when you need to be there versus get you there sometime this month you know the way that like cross-atlantic uh ocean right travel was for centuries <laughs> you know like how, how precise is your timetable <laughs> yeah we'll be in paris mm, between the 13th and 15th of april right <laughs> So all of this information is going to define how people in your game regard airships and the people who use them. You know, are you an insane person for getting on some sort of contraption that's just as likely to fall out of the sky as it is to get you to the other side of the continent? Or is this sort of like banal and and simple and like, okay, maybe it's kind of cool if you know how to fly a plane, but honestly, it's more of a hobby. In terms of mechanics, this will allow you to make sense of things like reputation adjustments or, you know, cost modifiers for repairs to a, a plane or figuring out what the availability of parts are going to be or, you know, a, a dock where someone can actually like uh, fix them or, you know, whether it makes sense for a party member to know how to fix one. All right. So let's talk about how airships function. How do they work? I think a good thing here to remember is that you don't need real world flying experience in order to sort of fake how an airship in a game is going to work even if it's based on like a, a real airship because you know there there's so much fudging of real life mechanics anyway but there are some basic questions you should be able to answer for example what is the power source is it jet fuel uh, is it you know a bound elemental inside a kyber shard and then of course what happens when you don't have access to that power source anymore 
<laughs> yeah. Are you naturally buoyant? Do you fall out of the sky? Think about maneuverability, and that also um, ties into power source. Like, if you lose power, do you plummet like a rock out of the sky? Or, like most jets, do you glide for a long distance? Um, can you fly straight up? Can you hover? Uh, is this like a a TIE fighter that has uh, atmospheric capabilities and is basically like infinitely maneuverable like a hummingbird. <laughs> I don't know why a TIE fighter would have atmospheric yeah. capabilities, but like, it's, but like there's like a, a kind that does. It's magic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like the worst possible shape. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> but I, I think canonically there's like a kind of TIE fighter that like specifically is like built for atmosphere, but it's the same shape. <laughs> Also think about what the size of the crew for your ship needs to look like. You know, if it's a biplane, it's maybe just the pilot or a pilot and a gunner or a pilot, a navigator and a tail gunner. But a luxury liner might have dozens of crew members. It might have non-essential crew members, right? Like it might have people who are just there to tend to your needs as passengers. Right. Uh, the helicarrier needs, um, well, nobody. Nobody needs to run a helicarrier. Uh, the AI handles it and then fails. Right. What crew is needed to fulfill the function of the ship? Like those stewards who are serving passengers um, and drinks and things like that. And then what crew is needed to actually keep it in the air? The luxury liner doesn't actually need someone tending the bar in order to keep it from falling out of the sky, but you probably need a pilot and maybe a good mechanic. Right. And then you can start to map out the different components of the ship itself. Uh, again, you don't need to tie this to like actual real world mechanics. This is basically just a list of things that can go wrong with the ship. It's almost just a list of terms of ships. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> each of these might have a different like amount of hit points for each of these sections. Um, recently, 5e introduced some uh, vehicle rules that I like a lot. Um, they have to do with sh with like seagoing ships mostly, but each of these components has hit points in each component can take damage depending on like you know what's attacking it or like uh what part is being targeted and then you know you either lose maneuverability or you lose seaworthiness or or things like that de depending on um like who's damaging what so first of all you've got the hull um this could be you know the outer wall uh that you know contains your cabin it could also be the deck things like that yeah like if you're actually on a ship that looks like an ocean going ship and it just happens to be in the air then yeah you have like a literal hull and a literal deck then you got propulsion uh what is it that makes you go forward that also might be the thing that keeps you in the air but it isn't necessarily maybe that's the bound elemental the precariously bound elemental mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's your engines maybe you've just got a big dumb rocket strapped to the back of you because this is an orky airship right mm-hmm Yep. Uh, propellers also make you go forward, which is why you definitely don't want to like shoot bullets through your own propellers. And then, of course, fuel. That feels like a Looney Tune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was the the very early uh, models of um, dogfighters. Uh, they would uh, the bullets would hit their own propellers sometimes until someone invented the. Uh, I guess it was the mechanism that made sure that the bullets only fired when the propeller wasn't right in front. <laughs> You will also want to have some source of lift. So in modern aircraft, that's usually wings. But um, in fantasy, that could be sore wood. That's sort of the like buoy like air buoyant uh, material that the ship is made of. It could be a gigantic, you know, Zeppelin balloon. Um, any number of things could provide some way of getting off the ground. 
throw verisimilitude out the window in in some instances like do whatever makes sense like you don't necessarily need to say oh this provides propulsion but not lift and this provides lift and not propulsion like it makes sense to people that if a wing gets damaged or a wing falls off the plane is in trouble that's really what you're looking for like in skyjacks right the uh the feather weave is what gives you lift and also speed and you heat it up and you move and like cool if as long as you've got that you're moving forward we're good whereas like in other places like eberron right like boy you better make sure that that sorewood is in good shape because the elemental is only going to push you forward or backwards it doesn't give you lift and then if the elemental fails like you drop out of the sky if it if it weren't made of sorewood you would just plummet right out of the sky because you right. don't you don't have like you know, uh, airfoils. Right. <laughs> Consider for version 2.0. <laughs> Backup plan. <laughs> House Lorander wants no lip from you. <laughs> Landing wings. <laughs> now, now I need you to, to build some roads throughout Corvair that allow sufficient space to land an emergency airship. Uh, a way, perhaps, where, you know, you could run along the ground before just crashing. I don't know what yes. you call them, though. <laughs> We'll workshop the title. Consider how you control the ship. Um, it can be fun to have lots of propulsion and uh, no lift or no control. <laughs> <laughs> so that might be your rudder. If you're in an old-timey ship, it's the flaps or airfoils. Uh, it could just be like an actual steering wheel, like an old-timey steering wheel or, you know, the, the pilot's actual, like, uh, stick. Or sails, right? Like right. Mm -hmm. Airfoils, right? Then, of course, what's the point of playing an RPG and getting on a massive vehicle if you can't attack other massive vehicles? So consider what weapons are available to you on your chosen airship platform. This could be personal weapons as well as like cannons and battering rams and like all the types of things you associate with naval, spaceship or otherwise like, you know, Air Force weapons. We have Ballista on deck. Why wouldn't we? Even if you're in a ship that doesn't have any guns, like, you know, think Firefly, right? The uh, Serenity never had any actual mounted guns. Punch out a window and stick your AK-47 out the window and start firing. I'm very confused about this setting in which, <laughs> in which you've taken flight and are using your AK-47 out a window. <laughs> why, would, why would you not do that? Pressure differentials, that's why. <laughs> we just need to fly low enough. And slow enough, like barbecue. <laughs> Uh, consider cargo, not just what you are carrying, but the space where the cargo might be. Um, if you're in sort of like a rogue tradery type game or I don't know, uh, like Tailspin, honestly, a Tailspin game might be fun. Uh, it can be the most devastating thing can be not getting your hull shot up, but like having to lose the cargo in order to get more lift or, you know, having uh, the latch on the cargo uh, damaged and then like all the boxes fall out of the sky. Yeah, and classically, like, the weapons versus cargo space is, like, the classic conundrum, right? Like, because weapons require ammunition and, and require access and maintenance and things like that, like, the ability to carry lots of weapons and weight to do that uh, tends to mean you don't get to carry as much cargo. And then think about landing. Um, a lot of fantasy airships don't really have landing gear. They just sort of stay aloft all the time. But you need things like docking clamps or mooring rigging or something like that. And then, of course, modern airplanes, you need wheels in order to land without probably dying. <laughs> Famously. <laughs> I saw Con Air. Water landings. Okay. Just, why didn't you just put the bunny down? <laughs> Every uh, vehicle that gets damaged will at some point need some kind of maintenance. 
think about how much you want this to be involved in your game. It, it can be basically none, um, or it can be a huge component, especially if you have a, a PC who you know is an engineer or, or a mechanic. So each ship or individual component is going to need money, time, or ingredients or parts in order to stay in working condition. Alternatively, though, like just don't have anything go wrong with mechanics, except for story purposes or if there's damage in combat. So like you don't necessarily have to have upkeep in order to make sure that we've spent enough time to keep the ship greased and in working order. Yeah, you can easily just hand wave that until, like you said, it it drives the story purpose, right? Mm -hmm. You need to make an emergency landing in a town you've never visited before. What could go wrong? Absolutely nothing. Right. I mean, you'll just find the, the widget that you need, you know, install the widget with a very friendly airship repair guy <laughs> and uh, move on. No, no cannibalism at all. Why would you ask? who brought up cannibalism what yeah i didn't say cannibalism (laughs) what What are you talking about (laughs) so to make repairs there are many things that could be required and any combination of this is also fine could just be time no special tools or money you know it just happens in transit or downtime when someone in the party asks wait how are we like repairing this thing you just say you're pretty knowledgeable you know how to fly a ship like as you are going you bang out the dents and make sure that everything's in working order great it's part of your kit uh, it might also require some skill. So uh, maybe time isn't the factor, but really it's some role or some test of your um, character abilities that determine how much you fix or if you make it worse, right? So that you're, you're, it's riskier to complete these type of repairs yourself. It could be that you just have to pay a lot of money to have someone else do it. Uh, this probably takes a longer time than doing it yourself. Uh, it means finding someone to do it. It means finding a location where they can do it. And of course, it makes you a lot more vulnerable because you need to let someone else come in and fiddle with your ship in ways that you probably don't understand. Okay, Kaylee, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> You're taking it personally. I'm just saying, okay? We 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 need a compression coil. <laughs> we don't have a spare compression coil. It might also take some sort of quest in order to complete your repairs. So this could be looking for special parts. Or yeah, like a compression coil. <laughs> <laughs> you might need items or, or lost knowledge, right? Like it, it kind of depends on where airships sit in your setting, um, whether the parts that you need are easily available or only available in certain places or maybe not available to you. You know, like even in like a Knights Black Agents game, you might have access to a Sikorsky helicopter, but just because you have access to a military grade helicopter does not mean that you can like source parts for your Sikorsky helicopter. Yeah, I really like uh, sort of like genre mixing here, especially in settings where it makes a lot of sense. Like it might be that you need some sort of arcane reagent in order to uh, keep the elemental bound on uh, an Eberron airship. Um but like in a Call of Cthulhu game, also, it certainly makes sense that there's some sort of weird occultness to this ship that we happen to be either commandeering or stuck on. And now we need some sort of forbidden knowledge in order to figure out the ritual that keeps this thing in the air. I'm sure that won't cost you anything of your sanity. No, not at all. It's actually sanity is the fuel on which uh, <laughs> <laughs> this plane is driven. Cool. Uh, You'll usually want to bring this up or make it apparent that something will potentially break before the component is totally broken because normally you will want the airship to be used to go get the thing that you need in order to fix the airship. Yeah, and you want the dramatic tension of, you know, 
can they race against time and, and race against the breaking of this component in order to solve the problem? Right. Or the dramatic irony of knowing that we can't afford to fix the compression coil right now, but in two episodes, it will definitely break because it's Chekhov's compression coil. What is life like aboard an airship? I think a lot of it depends on how often are you landing or resupplying. If you're doing long hauls, uh, then it's more like life aboard a seagoing vessel. Um, if you're just doing short hops or day trips, then uh, the like supply needs are less necessary or less important to the story. Kind of two ways to to do this. It could be that you're just traveling uh, from one point to another, you know, as a passenger or you know making short hops. Or it could be that the ship itself is your base of operations for the campaign. For travel, like I said, it usually just means that you're passengers. It also means that your needs are probably taken care of. You're being fed, you're given water, you don't need special gear. Uh, if there are parachutes or safety equipment, those will be provided to you. You're probably not responsible for any type of maintenance, upkeep, sailing, flying, any of those functions, but you might have to take care of some other unexpected problems like pirates or terrorists or... Uh, I don't know, a, a random um, egg that was found in the hull compartment that seems to be spawning an alien creature that is going to attack and decimate everybody on board. A problem you sometimes run into in in games like this where you're like on an enclosed vehicle is that people feel like they don't have something to do or they don't have enough specialized knowledge in order to know what to do. That should never actually matter. Like, if you don't know how to fly a plane or fix a plane, that's fine. There are other problems that need to be dealt with. Um, shoot at the people outside. Shoot at the people inside. Uh, you're an adventurer. You're probably very good at combat. Or you're a sage or something. Figure out how to kill this alien and do it immediately before it eats the pilot and we all die. Right. Think about what kind of secrets or information that the party may not have access to. That might be, you know, I haven't read the flight manual and don't know how to fly the plane. It could also be, I have no idea what's in the cargo bay. I haven't read the ship's log and I don't know where this thing has been or where it's going. I, that might be the very reason you're on this ship, right? Is you need to get access to some of the secret information. One of the best ways to infiltrate uh, is just buy a ticket. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in the air, there are lots of new options for the storyline and for challenges for the party, even in like non-combat scenarios. Think about like a murder mystery. In the air, if someone's killed, can you just dispose of the body by throwing it out uh, the, the airlock or the, the cargo chute? Well, it's certainly better to do that than it is to get it caught up in the landing gear. <laughs> that just makes it complicated for everybody. Uh, up in the air, you might have severed communication. The radio stops working and now, you know, you have no idea what's going on the ground or nobody has any idea what's happening up in the air. Air traffic control can't tell you how to land, all of that. So if your airship becomes your base, then you're going to be living aboard and it's likely that everybody in the party is going to need to have some sort of function, right? Like there's usually enough work on a ship that everyone has to pitch in. Yeah, and I would sort of break this down between like story function and uh, mechanical function, like your story role or like what your role is sort of in, in round to round, either combat or like skill challenges. You know, your title might be the, the captain, but that doesn't like what does that mean that you're doing every round? It might mean that you're shooting. It might mean that you're piloting it. It might mean that you're yelling orders. So in terms of roles that you probably need to have filled all the time and have someone dedicated to. You need a pilot, like you need someone who can direct or, or control the ship, whether that's a, 
a, a, a wizard who like you know manipulates the arcane runes and tells the big flying castle to like go west uh, or if it's someone who you know actually used to be in the air force and knows how to fly this bomber you might have the gunner um, or even multiple gunners, right, where you are responsible for controlling certain weapon systems, right? You might have the gunner on the left side of the ship and the gunner on the right side of the ship or the foregunner, tail gunner. But, you know, either way, like when you are attacked or when you are making an attack on somebody, like your job is going to be aiming the weapons. And then lastly, you probably definitely need a dedicated mechanic of some kind someone who can fix the damage that you are inevitably going inevitably going to deal with in combat or you know from storms or random dragon attacks or whatever might be thrown at you and this is another place where you can have as many specialties as you have party members right like there are always subsystems to specialize oh i'm the mechanic who's in charge of the engines i handle the weapons i handle the controls yeah and this should really be guided by your party makeup and what people are actually interested in right it's like Someone might find piloting very dull. Please make sure that they're not the dedicated pilot. Mm -hmm. uh, if no one wants to get technical at all, then you know you have one engineer, maybe even an NPC engineer that the party needs to keep safe. Uh, but you can get into the nitty gritty where I'm the electrician, you know, um, and like I handle structural integrity, and you know, I'm the the metallurgist, whatever. Yeah. You might also have other roles like the captain, uh, the first mate, possibly, who sort of handles the nitty-gritty, a co-pilot, which is a, a good role for someone who doesn't necessarily want to get too deep into the mechanics, but can is happy just saying, I sit in the other seat and I help the pilot. You have your kind of shipboard roles, uh, the things that are necessary to keep the people on board a ship happy. So quartermaster, doctor, cook, steward, passenger right like all the kind of things that aren't necessary for the operation of the ship but are necessary for the operation of the people on the ship and remember right rolling story is different from rolling combat so you can have a pilot who you know is the dedicated pilot and is obviously good at that but they might also be an accomplished gunner um probably if you're living on board ship everybody should at least know how to fly the ship if something happens to the pilot or the co-pilot or, you know, someone gets shot and some everyone needs to be able to grab the controls in a pinch. Yeah, famously, fucking everybody knows how to pilot the Millennium Falcon. Apparently so, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think the AI just handles it. Or maybe you just, you just plug uh, your R2 unit into it. Right. <laughs> but remember that making your roles too specialized means that PCs end up investing too much into being very good at just their one thing. But that means that if their thing isn't involved in the moment, then they get sidelined, whether, you know, if you're in the um, the bay of the helicarrier and all you're really doing is like shooting at other ships and, you know, waiting for the, the fuel reserves to come online, then you're not really piloting. And so you don't have anything to do if you only know how to pilot. And of course, then when you're not on the ship, everyone who spent, you know, half of their character creation points on running the ship or you know maneuvering the ship kind of is is weaker by comparison okay let's talk about airship combat because that's what we're really all here for right is like a, a pitched battle on the deck of an airship look the scenarios like this are why we don't put in timestamps in the notes because then people just fast forward to you know 36 minutes in <laughs> <laughs> 
Consider that combat hazards can be both internal and external. So your internal hazards are going to be things like there was an assassination on board or there's a hostile takeover of the plane. You know, the the drama is taking place inside the, the cabin or the hull. It is it is on board. During these situations, the crew is probably trying to maintain the ship while the party is investigating or doing the fighting or anything like that. You're probably not spending your time making sure that the plane is still flying. You'll be spending more time dealing with the challenges that come with being in the air while you are doing whatever it is that you're doing, investigating a murder, fighting an alien, whatever. We go back to like communications problems, right? Like you are probably cut off from the world at large. You might be cut off from many of the resources that you would use to address this problem, like the internet, for example, or a CIA strike team. Right. $7.99 per hour for, for Boing Boing? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's Boingo. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> we will solve this ourselves and then we will land this dumb thing. Boing Boing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that dumb name is so much worse than its actual dumb name. So think about things like hull integrity, like how do bullets or fireballs interact with the ship itself? Or how do they react to the very enclosed hallways you're probably dealing with inside? Also think about close quarters combat. Uh, there's probably not a lot of room to maneuver down tight tight ship hallways. Uh, or even on like a cramped, crowded ship deck. Uh, range combat is going to be more difficult because, you know, fighting on the pitching uh, surface of an airship making maneuvers is going to be a lot different than fighting on solid ground. Of course, area of effects spells or abilities auto fire things like that are going to be a lot more effective but it's going to be a lot harder to avoid friendly fire yeah there is nothing more effective on an airship than a grenade <laughs> right for crashing that airship <laughs> <laughs> did you take care of the pilot and co-pilot yeah threw a grenade in there and closed the hatch it took care of most of the flight systems too <laughs> what's that whistling look none of us know how to fly this thing anyway so it doesn't matter <laughs> Speaking of which, think about what happens if you fall, like you physically fall out of or off the ship. It might just be that you just die. You know, if you kick someone overboard, they plummet to their death. That's certainly a possibility. It, it makes sense realistically. It's what happens when you murder someone on a cruise ship. Mm -hmm. Depending on your tech level or your magic level or the kind of game that you're playing, it's usually less interesting if you know, one failed acrobatics check is insta-death. Yeah, it, it strikes me that like even in sort of more quote-unquote realistic games, like even like a Knight's Black Agents, right? Like if you had a, if you had a pitch battle aboard Air Force One and your character got like kicked out a, uh, a gaping hole in the fuselage, yes, you are dead, right? Realistically. But also you're a super spy in a super spy drama fighting vampires. Like obviously you like zip up your hoodie, like stretch out the like the material in your jacket and like fashion yourself a, uh, a squirrel suit so that you can safely enough land in a body of water nearby and not die. Yeah. Right? Like you survive jumping out of a plane because you're a freaking badass super spy. Like that's what you do. Yeah, or you use your wrist grappling hook to, you know, attach to the fuselage again and then reel yourself in. Have a pitch battle atop the jet. Okay, that's more of a Batman maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> Are you telling me Batman doesn't exist in Knights Black Agents? <laughs> I, what I'm saying is that's classified. <laughs> Externally, though, you could deal with things like pirates attacking from another, from another ship, a storm that you're dealing with, uh, lightning or ice, or maybe a dragon is attacking you. So think about, can this be handled from inside the ship? It is way more interesting if the answer is no. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, it's great if you can stay inside and, and be safe and not get shot in the head, but it's way better if you can lasso a dragon and climb aboard its back and have to fight the dragon while flying on the dragon. Uh, yes. Uh, I think any player would be like, oh, yes, please, let's do that instead, right? Or if you get boarded by pirates, the best thing you can do is counterboard the pirates and, hey, look, two ships. <laughs> Done. <laughs> so if you have an open airship that's, you know, a, a sailing vessel that's in the air or, um, you know, a dogfighter that doesn't have an enclosed cockpit, you've got things like, you know, uh, ballista on the deck. You can use spells. Uh, you can use your ranged weapons, uh, depending. There are more options for like your typical non-ship uh, board abilities. I really like the idea of like 1930s, like open air biplane, <laughs> like dogfighting pilot whipping out his sniper rifle <laughs> <laughs> i mean why not right uh this is a this is a wacky game i switched the sniper rifle to auto fire uh <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i use the under barrel grenade launcher that's what i do that's it yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> 140 mic mic away <laughs> so a closed body craft is going to require a lot more danger uh, you mentioned before depressurization um again hand wave if that takes the fun out of it but it's also possible that like you know the the jet has uh lost speed uh, and altitude because of the problems that are going on with the engine or even inside or the pilot's dead or whatever and now that means that we can like blow the hatch and get on top of the thing or or whatever is necessary you mentioned like having a battle on top of the jet right which is absurd but also really rad so right <laughs> how realistic do you need to be in order for your game to work right like if it's cooler to have a pitched battle at I don't know, I guess 30 miles an hour on the on the roof of a, a, the top of the fuselage of a jet. Like, cool, let that happen, right? Or is there tech that allows that to happen, right? They have magnetic clamps in their boots and now they are having that battle partially pinned in place, like resisting all of the wind and all of that stuff. Right, or, you know, does everyone have a jet pack and this is on top of a Zeppelin? That makes a ton of sense. Right, yeah. And now you've got to deal with like, uh, hey, they filled this with hydrogen. <laughs> right. <laughs> And and uh, taking off uh, requires me firing a jet into the ground, which is the top of the Zeppelin. <laughs> so I, I just, I know that I keep talking about this, but so the opening introduction of the G.I. Joe movie involves Cobra, like, attacking, for some reason, the Statue of Liberty to blow it up. What the... But anyway, so what happens at the end of this introduction is Duke flies in, grabs the bomb, and then just flies up to like this gigantic like whale shark looking aircraft carrier that's floating in the air that they all launched from and just like sticks it to the side of it. And then it just like slowly explodes into like a hundred explosions. And it is just like the most ridiculous like, why is it there? What is it doing there? How do the, how does everything have a jetpack in this setting? <laughs> <laughs> They're Mandalorians. And why were they attacking the Statue of Liberty in the first place? And then it just solves it with a big explosion. <laughs> I love that the the thing that you have a problem with in, in the G.I. Joe movie is like jetpacks and a bomb that takes down a, a flying aircraft carrier and not Serpentor and, and like barbarian spores. <laughs> uh, uh, hold on. Cobra Law is... <laughs> fucking rad <laughs> it, it is it is absolutely like don't take out the cool like sci-fi <laughs> elements of my stupid campy jingoistic like kids gun porn okay hey it's lasers they use laser rifles okay blue and red lasers that's true <laughs> you know what i like most about gi joe though is that 
G.I. Joe shoots red lasers, which is the wrong color, obviously, because yes. blue is the color of heroes and red is the color of villains. Of course. Except that they did red lasers for G.I. Joe so that whenever they showed Cobra, they would be like surrounded by red and look evil. And whenever they showed G.I. <laughs> Joe, they'd be surrounded by blue and look heroic. <laughs> So like they reverse color schemes for the, for the optics on the camera. <laughs> I like to think of it as Cobra is using hotter lasers, which uh, are more deadly. Okay, because they are vicious, <laughs> but they're aggressively missing. <laughs> so yeah, think about like how realistic any of this is. Like if you're playing a tailspin game, Kit Cloud Kicker jumps out of the back of a seaplane on some sort of aluminum airfoil and like air skis yeah i was gonna say surfs right basically (laughs) which makes no sense he has no breathing apparatus how high are they i have no idea and he's 11 years old but like cool i guess also i guess if you're gonna have a combat think about what is the enemy goal (laughs) are they trying to destroy this ship are they trying to seize it are they trying to um steal something like is this actually cover for a heist you know what's the purpose of them being here Make sure that they're working towards that goal so that it's realistic and it feels like their tactics make sense versus, you know, if if we were just here to blow it up, why would we go through all this trouble? Right. We would get grenade launchers. Right. (laughs) Surface to air missiles. (laughs) All right. Ship to ship combat. In these instances, again, every PC should have a role and something to do every round. The necessary ones are going to be the pilot or, you know, whoever is making sure that the plane is maneuvering or moving instead of falling. And a gunner, you're going to want a a person or people who are attacking. Of course, even if the ship doesn't have weapons, you can use all your handheld weapons. Just like make a way for people to use their handheld weapons. Uh, You might also have need to make repairs or be on lookout. It might be beneficial to have command presence to muster the crew. Uh, it might be necessary to have your players assisting each other to be more successful if they're not particularly skilled in a given task. So uh, keep those options open so that when players are looking around like, what do I do? What would my character do? You've got some ideas. Right. And you can look to the list of components of the ship for tasks that need to be completed, right? Um, maybe each round that a particular component is unattended after it's been damaged or each time it takes you know additional damage, it gets worse and worse on a track until it's destroyed and then you either fall out of the sky or that gun doesn't work anymore or whatever. Uh, and when, when someone attends to it successfully, then you know it improves. Uh, crew members of the ship, like NPC crew members, can run the ship if you need to or depending how big the ship is. They can do a lot of these repairs. They can do some piloting. Um, just keep in mind that any of the tasks that are delegated to NPC crew only work as long as those particular crew members are still alive. Yeah, when you get to a certain size of ship, it becomes less about individual capability and more about like just pure capacity, right? So if your engineering staff is down to 50%, then it is just difficult to accomplish anything on the repair front, right? Um, so your your challenge now becomes how do you muster the most out of that group of people who are working for you rather than can you go turn a wrench faster? Right. And, you know, it also gives another potential option for something to do on the ship is like keep as many crew alive as possible so that they can continue to function, like protect them, set up barriers or, you know, command and muster the remaining ones in order to get more out of them now that half of them are dead. Or, you know, make the difficult decision to like seal, seal the bulkheads and vent that part of the ship costing you a certain 
number of lives of your crew, but ultimately saving you from having to deal with those problems and consolidating your survivors in a way that can be more likely to win this combat. Yes, that was a very difficult decision. Oh, goodness. I'm wringing my hands over it. Okay, well, some of us don't play every game like 40K. Some of us remember that Battlestar Battlestar Galactica was a thing. (laughs) All right, so make sure that every PC has something interesting to do every round. PCs, make sure you are not wasting your turn. Find something that you can do well or find something that must be done even if you probably are going to do it poorly because someone has to do it. Yeah, and if you're a bard in this situation, just play a song. You know, sing harder. It worked on the Titanic. (laughs) Uh, Consider things like firing arcs. Usually those are pretty lame, actually, but this can be interesting or or even fun where, hey, I've, you know, shot open a window and I'm shooting out this side, but I can't shoot out the right side of the airplane. I'm shooting out the left side. Someone else can then do it on the right side. Someone else can do the tail, whatever, like open the cargo bay and like cut the rigging and basically use the cargo as like impromptu missiles or, you know, the car that I keep back here, whatever. Cool shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And then you have dogfighting, which is going to be your like highly maneuvered 1v1 white knuckled pilot versus white knuckled pilot kind of fighting in the air. Think about like single person planes end up just being kind of like more maneuverable PCs. You can use basically the same kind of grid. Uh, Your movement speed might be different, but your scale changes, but you're basically using the same kind of abilities and like every round you fly and you shoot. I kind of like two-person planes because it forces teamwork. It takes the party and sort of divides them up into pairs and not necessarily the pairs who like each other or necessarily work well together. Mm -hmm. That can be kind of fun. Usually it's a pilot and a gunner. Yeah, and then, of course, classically, you mix and match your plane types so that you've got, you know, several fighters escorting a single bomber, making a run, things like that. Shout out here to Erica Chapel and the Flying Circus RPG, which has now finally been released uh, and is promised a Blimp Leggers uh, <laughs> expansion from our friends over at System Mastery. So uh, that game is just all built upon sort of pre-1960s dogfighting air combat honestly there's probably a an entire other episode on this <laughs> yeah we should have her, her <laughs> do it <laughs> <laughs> for for us <laughs> yeah <laughs> i like here giving players the options of like different planes like you know here you have a hangar figure out what you're going to do so you can have you know the mechanic on the bomber who is like loading the the bombs right while someone is flying and someone is gunning and then two other people are like in uh biplanes or or whatever or you know zeros and and escorting you pick the red one you shouldn't because red ones go faster that's true you're not wrong all right lastly crashing can you survive that's the question (laughs) (laughs) like is it is it can we hunker down and survive this crash or do we need to find a way to bail out of this ship, right? Is it a helo crash or is it a a, a B2 bomber crash? How quickly is it going to crash? It probably happens over the course of multiple rounds, but this will tell the party like what they have time to accomplish. Like, Can you save everybody on board? Can you save the cargo? Or really, is it grab parachutes and jump? And, and it depends also, I think, on what you're crashing into. You know, obviously crashing into the ground is different than crashing into another ship is different than crashing into, say, a mountain or, uh, you know, a landing structure or something like or that. Or the Statue of Liberty. Okay. No. Uh, no cost greater. Well, so think about the moral dilemmas of the crash situation, right? This is the classic. We have one 
less parachute than we have people. Uh, who do we hate? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> or like, can two of us share one or, or whatever, right? Um, yeah, who, who gets a meet cute in a single parachute? <laughs> 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 we could have been strapped forward to back, but instead <laughs> we went face to face. You know, it just gives us a little time with two minutes in the air. It takes four minutes to fall in love. So we're halfway there. <laughs> who is activating the teleporter uh, in a uh, fantasy setting, right? Does someone need to stay behind to activate it and then they have to go down with the ship? Yeah, is there like a ritual that has to be completed that somebody must stick around for? Um, is there a heroic last stand that's, you know, I'll buy us enough time to activate the escape pods? Right. Uh, and if everyone gets off the, the ship, where does it crash? Does it crash in the middle of a populated area? Is that something that you can live with? Is that something that all of you can live with? Or is there someone who says, no, I have to stay on this thing to steer it at least in a, an unpopulated area? Or not into the Statue of Liberty, I suppose. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll win the war, but we'll lose the battle for hearts and minds. <laughs> so just a few quick caveats for uh, running airship encounters. Uh, you want to make sure that nobody is getting stuck with the quote-unquote boring role on the plane. Uh, but remember, that's going to differ from person to person and from game to game. Someone may hate always just making a piloting check every single round, and some people might love it because they put all their points into it. And then another caveat is insta-death. Um, this makes sense in a lot of places. It doesn't make sense in a lot of narratives. So you might need to figure out a way to work around insta-death or ensure that you have an alternative if that is actually a condition, right? Like it is certainly possible that you get vented into space and you're dead now or the equivalent happens when you depressurize a cabin on an, on an airship. Um, if there's other characters around that you can play and that's like sort of the stakes that you're signing up for, that makes sense. If you're expecting, you know, this lovable band of miscreants to go long and far in your campaign, you probably need to figure out a way to avoid that reality so that insta-death is not the, the main fail state. Yeah, like gritty games probably are not the best ones to do airborne combat in. <laughs> yeah, the, the Rocketeer not playing savage worlds i would say in general no matter what you're playing like probably just loosen things up a bit because like dog fighting and like fighting on the the back of things that are flying uh, that are high in the air is really cool and awesome and like it's a trope for a reason so like let people do it and and like have an entire session where just amazing things happen failing that parachutes make sure That's everybody right. has a parachute <laughs> <laughs> all right do you hear that ishan I think that's the sound of my bullets going through my propeller. That's not great. Well, then let's move <laughs> on to the character creation forge and at least build you a new propeller. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPT Cast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we end anime with Spike Spiegel, the anti-hero of Cowboy Bebop. Don't worry. I didn't watch this one either. You're missing out, Shane. You're missing out. I know. It's a, it's, I think it's right up your alley because he's a lazy, selfish bounty hunter. Uh, no, I know. It's, it's Everyone is like, oh, did you like Firefly? Well, then you'll love Cowboy Bebop because Cowboy Bebop is just Firefly. They're both excellent. All right, so Spike is good with a gun. He's a practitioner of Jeet Kune Do, former member of a crime syndicate who faked his own death, 
and he's very perceptive thanks in part to his cybernetic eye. He also cheats at card games and flies an airship racer. All right, this is the best pitch I've heard for Cowboy Bebop yet, but what's the build? <laughs> it is Inquisitive Rogue 12, Kensai Monk 6, Fighter 2. All right, so from Rogue, we'll have 66 sneak attack, cunning action, uncanny dodge, evasion, you know, all the basic Rogue goodies. You get four expertises. We'll take insight, perception, sleight of hand, because that's how he cheats at cards, and deception, because he never really reveals his backstory, except to Jet. And you've got reliable talent, so... Nope, that's not it. Uh, as an inquisitive rogue, you'll have a minimum of eight on your insight checks, and you can make a check to gain your sneak attack uh, without having all the other conditions met. You'll get to make perception and investigation checks as a bonus action, and eventually you'll be able to get advantage on all those checks. And reliable talent just means that you are amazing at everything that you do all the time. So Kensai Monk will give you wisdom to your AC, faster movement, the ability to deflect missiles, and slow fall. You'll get mar martial arts to attack with your fists, stunning strike, and then Kensai weapons, one of which you will choose will be the hand crossbow. With a bonus action, you can add a d4 damage, and with a key point, you can add an extra d6 once per turn because he's very good with a gun. And then from fighter, we're here for archery fighting style at level one, and then at level two, second wind, and of course, action surge. So for feats, we'll take crossbow master so that he doesn't need to worry about um, the once per round shot on uh, his crossbow. And for tools, we'll take air vehicles so that he actually knows how to use his airborne racer. All right, what do you got in terms of leveling order? Let's go Rogue 5 to get to Uncanny Dodge. Then I think Monk 6, Fighter 2, Rogue 12. We are running long this episode, and I refuse to learn anything about basic entry-level anime, so let's just move on. <laughs> <laughs> Before we wrap up, let's take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. If you do that, we will read it on the air. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are talking about downtime. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building The Herbalist. Well, that's it for episode 252 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Kobold Press and Empire of the Ghouls, the Underworld Player's Guide and Underworld Layers. So, Empire of the Ghouls is an Underdark campaign for players levels 1 to 13. The matching Underworld Player's Guide includes new playable races from Darrow to Dark Trollkin to Drow and Mushroom Folk, plus new spells, subclasses, and backgrounds. Those are actually always the races that I want to play when you're in the Underdark. Uh, Creepy Darrow and uh, Mykonids. I love playing Mushroom Folk because, you know, I, uh, I I like that line from The Departed, <laughs> the uh, treat the feds like mushrooms, feed them shit, keep them in the dark. I like to be those <laughs> mushrooms. You're a consummate G-man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, the Underworld Lairs book includes standalone Underdark adventures for levels 3 to 14, and the whole package is now available from CobaltPress.com and on Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds for online play. So find out more at CobaltPress.com and tell them DSPN sent you. I'm Sally. And I'm Shane. Okay, let's do this. Now it doesn't seem like the time to start a really long, involved RPG. Although having said that... I've Didn't you start Planescape Torment this week? <laughs> 
does, with like very few exceptions, feel like it's superheroes playing Galaga. These things are bad for obvious reasons, because they're moving towards you and you die if you don't shoot. Because we're just like killing everything. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're very much griefing each other. <laughs> yeah, we are. Co-op Mood, a casually serious conversation about playing video games. Okay. <laughs>